This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to a brand new show on the Blood Red podcast channel, which we're tentatively calling The Bottom Line. And why The Bottom Line? Because this podcast is all about football finances and Liverpool football clubs in particular. We know it's an area our listeners are interested in and over the years we've had the pleasure of welcoming guests like Kieran Maguire onto our pods uh, to give their expertise on the subject. And we will continue to do that on this show and the others that we produce but at the Liverpool Echo, we are now fortunate to have our own dedicated business of football writer, Dave Powell, who will be guesting and I imagine sometimes hosting this podcast going forward. Uh, Dave, we've had the pleasure of knowing each other for a, a long time now and you have been on a, a few of our podcasts since starting at the Echo, but how are you finding the role? Yeah, it's been been fantastic, really. It's, um, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a blank canvas when I started. Um, for, coming from the Chester Chronicle covering Chester for a few years, something which I, I know you know well. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's been really interesting to to kind of get get under the skin a bit of, of, of kind of a side of football that um, we don't see all too often. But it, it's in kind of growing in its significance and its importance, especially during a, a pandemic and the, the huge impact finances have had on on football clubs from across across the continent. So yeah, it's been really interesting. I think it's um, it, it presents a lot of kind of interesting avenues for us to explore going forward for both uh, Liverpool and Everton. Most definitely. You know, you, you, we talk about the, the impact of the pandemic on, on football clubs and we will come to that regarding Liverpool later on in this podcast. But you also said it's it's an area that people are becoming increasingly interested in and, and, and we've seen it at the Echo this week because some of our most well-read stories are the ones that, that you've done because while it's all quiet on the football front over here in Merseyside, you know, Liverpool do not play again until uh, a week on Saturday uh, when they travel to the Emirates to take on Arsenal. But over in Boston, the corridors of power, uh, where Liverpool's owners, Fenway Sports Group, are based, there's, there's been some major changes taking place, which you've been writing about, and which we're going to talk about now. Uh, and Dave, I think there's only one place to start, and that and that's the one, the story, or the the stories concerning the basketball superstar LeBron James. Uh, I think our listeners will know it's well documented that he's a, he's a Liverpool fan, and that in 2011, I think he bought a two percent stake in the club. But you've been reporting this week that his ties with FSG and Liverpool are, are getting stronger. They are. I mean, he, he's been a, a 2% stakeholder in, in Liverpool for, for kind of the best part of a, a decade now. Um, but with this Redbird Capital investment that was um, forthcoming, it's been approved by the FSG board uh, as of last week. They, they need some approval from Major League Baseball. It's um, well, Part of that $750 million investment was planned to be... Um, around Fenway Sports Management so it's a division of Fenway Sports Group and, and they have LeBron James as a client and the idea I think initially was that, that that investment would be used to maybe expand that relationship with LeBron I mean he's the most bankable athlete on the planet and he kind of transcends the sport I mean if you follow kind of the, the linear kind of tra- trajectory of his uh, his career I mean it's almost Michael Jordan-esque I mean a basketball superstar now dipping into to baseball and he's also going to star in the new Space Jam movie so so he's kind of his his ceiling for for what he can achieve and what what kind of um, you know those who associate themselves with him can achieve is kind of limitless. So instead of that spending that money on building that relationship with LeBron, what they've kind of done is, um, from what I can gather, is he has uh, transferred that two percent shareholding in Liverpool into a just above a one percent stake in FSG, along with Maverick Carter, his business partner and longtime friend. 
Um, and what that does, it kind of, it's almost two birds with one stone, I suppose. It allows FSG to use that Redbird money elsewhere, but also then they have LeBron James and, and kind of the, the 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 whole kind of gravitas he brings and, and, and the, his ability to open doors that they simply can't. Um, otherwise, it allows them to do that and having him on board and he's invested in the proje- project then, in the process. I mean, he he's someone who in order to get him invested, I think he has to be an investor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he does that with his kind of, um, he, he's got his own media channel. So when he does the very, I mean, yeah, he, he, has, he has media commitments. He has to do through the NBA. I mean, that's, that's kind of a league requirement, but when he does individual interviews and things like that, he uses them through his own um, media company. I think it's unrivaled. I think it's called. So he uses them through that platform. So, now he's invested in the FSG process, so they get the best of him. So, and him being a night client as well, that kind of opens up the prospect of them further kind of monetizing that relationship and, and using his stardom to kind of leverage that. Yeah, I think you wrote this week that they'll be furthering that relationship in-house. It, it, it's not going to be a case of LeBron James. I know he's, I think you wrote recently that his, uh, his wealth as of recently was about $450 million. It's not going to be a move that he's going to be pumping money into Liverpool himself but it's more about what he can bring to the brand yeah absolutely i mean it, it, that that's where liverpool uh, sorry that's where fsc see the value in in lebron it's you've got there i mean he if you look at his social media followers across the three main platforms so we say facebook twitter instagram and um, they're in excess of 150 million um in context liverpool's across the same are about um 80 odd million and then boston red sox uh, FSGs or the, the sporting opera- operation is about nine million. So you can see there. I mean, it, transferring that into um, money is is something which you know is not a given. But the, sport is changing, and there is a new generation that sporting clubs have to appeal to. Um, they have to get new eyeballs on the product. They have to uh, kind of make sure they maximise these relationships. I mean, it's not everyone is consuming sport in, in the traditional way that probably you or I did, Paul. You know, mm-hmm. it's, um, um, people are, are living and breathing what happens with their, their clubs online. It's kind of almost like snackable content. Um, but, and they always like to associate these brands. I mean, if you've got someone, you know, if you've got commercial partners who are able to kind of utilize lebron james's position in the marketplace to to further their own commercial deals allows for for more money to be commanded from those commercial partners so i think that's what it's going to entail i mean nike is is the biggest deal that fsg could have done for liverpool i think i know the flat rate three people look at and think well it's less than what they had with new balance mm-hmm. it's some 45 million pound away from what manchester united get with adidas but in reality, there is no ceiling on that. I mean, United's a flat rate fee, which they are heavily penalised for if they miss out on European competition. Um, the penalties are far less severe for Liverpool if the same thing happens. I mean, there are some there, but far less severe. Um, but there is no ceiling. So the idea, it's an incentivised contract, 20% royalties back to Liverpool on the sale of official licensed merchandise. Um, and this presents Liverpool with a chance to kind of monetize that in a way with a potential link up with the likes of LeBron. Um, and you know, he's one of these chosen two athletes, which Mike have put their kind of strength behind. I mean, the other being Kylian Mbappe. Um, but it's a way of using the stardom of one of the greatest athletes that there has been over the past 50 years or so. Um, and turning that into 
to kind of a, a revenue streams for, for FSG. And it's a smart move. I think it's a longer game uh, and you're not going to see a change in transfer spend, I don't think. It, um, I don't think it's going to affect it in that way. The idea being it uh, allows them to continue to grow the business to a point where they can continue to invest in all their operations year on year. You mentioned Redbird Capital Partners. They're an investment firm that I fronted by a financier called Jerry Cardinal. Uh, you've been all over this story, Dave, in the, the past few months uh, about him, who he is, and, and the company kind of represents. Uh, and then this week, the Boston Globe, who, if anyone doesn't realise, are owned by uh, John Henry, FSG's principal owner, and uh, ran by his wife, Linda Pizzuti. They broke the LeBron story. That's the one that, you know, was flying on our websites. You, you, you Google LeBron James Liverpool. It was all over the top websites in, in this country and around the world. But the Boston Globe also confirmed the story that this story that you've been writing about regarding Redbird Capital Partners, and that, and that you mentioned a little earlier in our conversation that FSG have now agreed to sell the mistake to uh, to, to this to this firm. Uh, and and you, I think you said earlier it was seven hundred and fifty million dollars as well. I think I've read that it's a ten percent stake in, in FSG compared to LeBron's one uh, percent. This this is a big deal, isn't it? Like before we get into the what 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 is going to happen, what's going to happen to to Liverpool and FSG with it. But this is a big deal. Seven hundred and fifty million dollars doesn't sound small, Fry. No, I mean it's initially. Uh, if you can cast your mind back to to kind of back end of last year, there was there was the talks with Cardinal and Billy Bean's Red Bull um, special purpose acquisition company. But this is um, that that showed a demonstration that FSG had been looking for uh, to to kind of bring in in some outside investment, raise a bit of capital. Um, there was no need for them to do it from a business sense in terms of to ensure the business continues to operate you know, and function. It, it's a case of Liverpool's profit, uh, FSG's profitability through Liverpool and the Red Sox is, is very high. So it's, it's to, you know, people are interested. Uh, in the viewpoint in America is that um, the Premier League is undervalued um, as a product. If you look to, to the amount of American investment that comes into Premier League clubs uh, over the past decade, it's kind of boomed. Uh, the reason being that it's far cheaper to buy into a Premier League club than it is to uh, buy into an NFL franchise um, or an NBA franchise. And I think that's kind of the thinking behind Redbird. Well, obviously, this is a, an FSG investment. Um, the, some of the greatest growth areas that, that kind of Redbird will will know of, because Cardinal is um, he's well-versed on European football, owns Toulouse through Redbird FC, another division of his Redbird company. Um, he, he will know the value of... Uh, the Premier League, especially with TV rights, I mean, they're up for renegotiation. You look at the NFL deal that was struck this past week, I mean, it's, you know, best part of $100 billion over a, a kind of 11-year period. And while the Premier League isn't going to be, be that much, it's, it, uh, it can, continues to rise year on year. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of growth in the business there. And I think FSG have, have looked at this and, and and thought, yeah, it's about they already, you know, they already give away some of their, their business. They've got limited partners. Um, Arctos Partners is another another firm which has a small stake. Um, but I think they think by giving away a little bit more and retaining that control, it just allows them to realise a bit of capital to, to work on some projects. And also for investors, it's a, a time when um, they they see that there is growth value in in a business which ultimately. You know, um, John Henry bought the Red Sox for 700 million um, 20 years ago, and you know they're now worth, uh, 
you know, kind of in, in the billions, the overall business is worth 7.3 billion. So um, they'll, they'll be kind of looking to ride, ride the growth of the sport, I think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's interesting you, you mentioned Billy Bean there. Obviously, he's the the man famous for Moneyball, played by Brad Pitt in the in the Hollywood film of the same name. And you, you said there, I know you've covered it on previous podcasts that you've appeared on, that Cardinal and Bean were together in this uh, Red Ball uh, the group. And not to confuse people with Red Bird, I don't know how you've managed these last yeah. couple of months writing all yeah. this, mate. Uh, and one of the big things for those two guys when they were in talks with FSG was about this multi-club uh, format, which we've seen with the likes of. RB Leipzig and Manchester City where the parent company own more than one club yeah, they own numerous clubs around the world particularly the City Football Group at the moment and what you've been writing recently is this correct Dave that even though Billy Bean's no longer on the scene and Cardinal and Red Bird Capital Partners are and they're, they're going to do this deal this is still an avenue they want to go down where maybe you will see maybe feeder clubs or partner clubs around the world for, for Liverpool Yeah I think so I mean having Red Bird on, on board um, already provides that link, albeit unofficially, with Toulouse. I mean, it might be something they make official, and they might turn just into an official club partner. Um, but I, the idea behind the the, the Red Bull um, multi-club partnership was that Billy Beam was going to leave his job with the Oakland Athletics and, and kind of push forward and, and lead that portfolio of gr- kind of of growing clubs for for Liverpool, particularly. Um, Kind of Liverpool sitting at the top of that tree, and 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 kind of you know like Manchester City doing and RB Leipzig having a number of other feeder clubs that, that sit below that. Um, that is, uh, it seems to be have gone off the agenda once um, that deal fell away. But um, from what I can gather, um, the, the, a portion of that investment will be used to try and kickstart that portfolio growth of for FSG, not specifically limited to um, just football clubs. There is also some noise that they might look at North American uh, sports franchises um, taking a stake in them. It's far more expensive to do do that than, than buy football clubs. So my personal view is that their focus will be on snapping up more European football clubs um, than, than spending money on, um, which kind of cost prohibitive almost to kind of get into the, the, the NFL, certainly at the moment. Um but they're also looking at things like data companies, um, all related to sport. But if, if you look at what uh, the, the big clubs have done in England, Manchester City have kind of led the way on this. Um, they've created this network of football clubs across the continent. And, and that's the same for, for even Leicester have kind of taken a, a dip into that. I mean, King Power own OH Leuven and yeah. Belgian first division club, I think they are now, they were promoted last year. Um, and what this allows for is to, I mean, under 23s football is a great grounding, you know, it's, but it doesn't provide sometimes the growth that, and the, the chance for chance for growth that some players need. Um, and they might not, you know, obviously loan deals are always a provide a, an opportunity for players to, um, to get out and play. But I think clubs think, why don't they take that in house? And, and why don't they send players out across the continent to learn their trade? Because often it can be, you know, very beneficial. You only have to look at to see the success RB uh, Leipzig have had, um, or Red Bull have had in terms of bringing players through. I mean, the Hedara, Upamecano, um, Zaboslai, um, Erling Haaland. You know, is we played at Salzburg before they sold them to Dortmund. So it's you know they've had enormous success bringing those kind of players through through the ranks. And I think Liverpool would like to to get in on that um, bit of the action, but also 
notably Brexit is making <laughs> things um, very difficult for football clubs at the moment um, in, in, in England certainly in terms of uh, I, I know Musielowski and and, and Frauendorf and, and Ozinski and players like that in, in the current Liverpool youth team um, these are deals that would have been prohibited under the new Brexit rules that's why they were done beforehand um, and that limits well you know everyone would love to see homegrown talent um, representing Liverpool throughout the team like you have with Trent Alexander-Arnold at the moment but reality clubs want the biggest scope they can possibly have to bring in talent uh, and they don't want to be hamstrung by um, red tape and regulations. So Manchester City have the ability to sign players under the age of 18 foreign and place them in a different, you know, or sign them through another club. And then they're ready kind of to, to make that step up as and when um, they're allowed to <laughs> through kind of Brexit law. So um, that's another reason I think that FSG will be conscious of. I mean, in Boston, they're making a big play at the moment in terms of how they work and, and putting more emphasis on bringing players through their farm system, they call it over there, mm-hmm. so playing in the minor leagues. This is the Red Sox, um, isn't it, the baseball team? It is, yeah. It, the, the, yeah, the Rod, Red Sox. So um, their big thing now is uh, the most expensive position, for example, in Major League Baseball is a pitcher. So that's what costs the most money, uh, multi-million dollar contracts. But so, And the Red Sox have never been particularly good at producing pitchers. So um, lo and behold, they're putting loads of emphasis now on, on kind of expanding their farm system, putting more money into, and more effort into that to try and create kind of pitches that can deliver success for them in the MLB without having to spend massive amounts of money on, on player contracts. So um, if you would kind of translate that into kind of football terms, I mean, that's kind of what FSG would like to see. I mean, be able to bring in the, well, kind of nurture the best talent across a group of of, um, of their clubs, as well as, you know, making a profit from all these clubs, let's be honest. But it allows them to, to kind of navigate these, rules and regulations because otherwise it's so many big clubs will be looking at this now because Manchester City have the benefit of being able to get around this so too do Leicester and Leicester you know Leicester I think are here to stay in terms of a a top six club now I mean they're established in that for as long as King Power are around and Brendan Rodgers but um, they're kind of wise to this and I think the FSG probably see that in order to 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 maintain that conveyor belt of talent and give themselves the best possible chance that they'll be looking at kind of expanding this multi-club that, um, that they have. I mean, Toulouse could well be the the first um, the first one we see. Yeah, and a certain Damien Camoli, ex-Liverpool director of football, is the yes. chairman over there, is that right? So the links are already strong. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's um, the links are, yeah, they're already incredibly strong there. I mean, it's, um, you know, Camoli is someone that, obviously well-known to Liverpool from his time as director of football there. Um, he was installed shortly after Cardinal came because um, Toulouse was relegated uh season before uh, last. So they are, you know, they're, they're fighting for promotion back now. And, and fans have been delighted with what Redbird have done um, at, at, at the club. Um, it was in a bit of turmoil beforehand. Um, they've committed a lot of money. But again, a lot, part of their big strategy there is development of youth, um, focus on kind of the way they work and data analytics so it all ties into to kind of the, the grander scheme you can already see the uh, kind of the, the kind of stars aligning in terms of what that might mean for um, uh, for kind of the, the club moving forward and from, from you and I 
Paul, our perspective, our time on the, the Flincher Chronicle, Reese Healy actually plays for, uh, for Toulouse <laughs> at the moment. So there's a throwback there for, uh, from, from, a, from a time long forgot where we were covering Connor Ski Nomads. So. Well, well, if there are any listeners listening to this from Flincher, hello. <laughs> and if there's anyone who knows Reese Healy, yeah, hello again. <laughs> like, yeah, that is as close to an in joke as possible, that. But uh, yeah, he, he has come, he's come a long way from there to be playing for Toulouse, Reese Healy, to be fair to him. And, uh, a long way. You know, it, it does. I'm going to come on to a bit of criticism for, for FSG in, in a moment regarding signings, but I'm taking a, a backward step, uh, sorry, like a, a, a back step out of this now. Everything you're saying there seems like it's it's more smart business on, on their part. I know they, they've come in for a bit of stick recently with the transfer policy, particularly in January, which I say we'll, we'll touch on in a moment. But they do have this uh, outside the box thinking, do they? They do have this broader view that it's you're never going to get anywhere by just throwing money at it which you know some clubs have done it and some clubs and have done it successfully but other clubs haven't you know this just seems typical FSG if that's the right way of uh, right way of putting it yes and I, I I don't think it's a a model that will change um dramatically at any any point I just don't I mean it's um uh <laughs> they they have kind of detractors I'm well aware of that and I can certainly understand that viewpoint I mean the 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 fact is, I mean, they've it, what's that, over the last five seasons they've they've recouped more in transfer fees than they've actually spent. And while from a business sense, you know, point point of view, you'd be applauding that, saying that's fantastic work. I mean, but the, the other side of that is that um, does it show a, a lack of investment and ambition into to making sure the football club can sustain success? I mean, that's the, the difference, I suppose. In it, the, is it sustained success or is it sustainable success? Because um, the two things aren't the same. If it's sustainable success, what is that? Uh, um, competing every once every four or five years, um, depending on um, the, the cycle? Or is it a case of... I mean, they won the Champions League in 2019. They won the Premier League in 2020. There was a reasonable expectations from fans that they would... Um, make every effort to ensure that they were among that conversation again. Obviously, things have happened. Virgil van Dijk's injury. Um, the, the squad's obviously gone through a loss of confidence as well, which happens. And that's, I think, when they were so irresistible to watch last year, um, a lot of that was born from just confidence levels were sky high. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, for all the um, excellent work that Michael Edwards has done in the transfer market, there, there are a few finer coaches in European football, I'd say, over the last 20 years yeah. than Jurgen Klopp. So it's not just a case of signing players for a, uh, you know, kind of a lesser fee from undervalued talent. It's a case of having a man manager who is an excellent manager of men um, and, and kind of gets the best out of uh, kind of players from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all kind of different kind of preconceptions it's though i think it, as a manager he's, he's fantastic i think that's kind of been something which fsg have been i mean that was that's their greatest appointment isn't it jürgen klopp and um, probably closely followed by him by kind of raising michael edwards's profile um but yeah i mean it, the the business model is ultimately a business model you know it's um when it's Manchester city and chelsea um whether it's right or wrong you know it's been an open wallet approach and um there's often been criticism laid at, laid at them in terms of by simply buying success, um, but then the same hand you can't say that you know you, you are against buying success when 
you know, you're kind of imploring uh, the ownership to, to do the same again. It's hard to argue against um, the FSG approach, certainly over the past couple of years when there's been a, a Champions League and Premier League. I think the drop-off this season has been um, so kind of stark that it has raised questions over um, policy and approach. Um, but it's not going to be one that changes because ultimately, I mean, th- there's some figures that kind of came out today um, looking at economic profit and loss over the past uh, five years in, in the Premier League. Um, Liverpool, £145 million economic profit. Um, only four clubs made an economic profit in that five years. Uh, Manchester City lost uh, almost £300 million. So um, it, it goes to show, you know, and, and it's a case of, as a business owner, they've been fantastic, but football and business don't go well hand in hand and it's a, it's always an uneasy relationship um between whether or not it's penny pinching or whether it's um it's kind of bold vision so um it, it won't change any anytime soon the approach but it will um it, it will kind of tweak i think in, in terms of how they do things um i think there'll probably be a, a realization um this summer uh, you would think that they would need to demonstrate a willingness to to kind of support the the investment of the first team the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We talked about the, the criticism that came in January because the, the, the club waited a, a while to bring in two centre-backs and in the end they got one on loan and one for, for a small fee for a, a player. It, it seems needs time to settle at the club in, in Ben Davis. But then you go back to the summer, I can remember, I don't know, I don't think, you, I think you'd started by then, Dave, uh, but you probably knew the, the temperature before Thiago and Diego Jota signed. There was a similar kind of feeling towards uh, what it, what there was towards the end of January. Like you'd seen Chelsea buy all these players, City abroad, Diaz in and Torres from Valencia. And there was a feeling like, well, are we going to strengthen? And Liverpool did. And Jota has been an absolute sensation. And Thiago, even though he's probably not hit the heights everyone expected, there's, uh, there's mitigating circumstances for that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure all Liverpool fans will be hoping or expecting to see the best of him next season. But I know you've written about this and I thought we'd just bring it up, but even those deals were cleverly constructed, weren't they? The Jota and the Thiago ones by FSG and, and by a man you mentioned, Michael Edwards. Yeah, I mean, they've been spread out over a period of time. So um, the Jota one, I mean, I think the initial spend in this financial year, um, we've not had the accounts published yet, but I mean, for the year ending uh, you know, the, the, the most recent financial year, it's going to be a case of a very minimal transfer spend, less than kind of 10 million. So, and that's going to be spread over a period of time. So, um, for, but what it did, Wolves were happy with the deal because they sold a player who was in and out of the first team, um, not through quality, just through being able to find a home for him, I suppose, um, the way he played. I mean, his style of play lends itself so well to, to what Jurgen Klopp looks for. Um Wolves were able to sell him at the highest watermark that they possibly could, I think, um, that 45 million. I think Wolves knew that's the most that they're going to get offered for Diogo Jota. Um, his value now is probably, I'd say, his market value is probably about the 70 million mark mm-hmm. now. Um, so the, the ceiling of what Wolves could sell and the ceiling of what Liverpool could sell are two very different things and they won't ever be the same. Um, it's just the way it, it's just the way it goes. I mean, there's, there's, you can add value onto a player by moving onto a bigger club. It's just that's just uh, football economics. Um, but I think the way they've been structured is over a period of time. There's no there's no major hit on the on the finances, and that's kind of what FSG look for. I think this year's accounts when they are released will kind of reflect that it's been you know a fairly steady hand um, in FSG's approach. But ultimately, it's a steady hand which 
you know, to, to their credit, I suppose, delivered a world-class midfielder in Thiago, and, and he is a world-class midfielder. He's, you know, on, on his day, I mean, this past few seasons for, for Bayern, he was sensational. And I think um, Jota will be. Um, at, at, he seems poised to take over the mantle of um, almost Portugal's next star. After Ronaldo finished, I'm not saying he's going to be Cristiano Ronaldo, because who is, you know, but I, I think he's going to be among that kind of elite Portuguese talent that's going to drive them forward over the next few years um, and I think he's going to be enormous for Liverpool so yeah it, they, they were they kind of spread out so there's no real financial hit but I think last summer's transfer business it's hard to see whether you know a quote whether it's worked or not yet because it's been a tough season um, Thiago struggled with form and injury we've lost you know the bits we have seen of Jota he's been fantastic but also struggled through injury I'd be interested to see when all the kind of Parts of the parts of the puzzle are together, and how it looks. Because I think um, those two will, will play a major role, and I think for the outlay, I think it'll represent good business. Yeah, when Liverpool do get their injured players back, they, they will have a formidable squad, and we can't have, we can't forget that. And it, but it it also does feel like you know sooner rather than later, it's a squad that'll need a, a, a bit more fresh blood in the in the, in the coming seasons. And uh, Jurgen Klopp said recently, like that even without Champions League football next season, players would want to play and sign for Liverpool, and if they didn't, he wouldn't want them anyway. But this is probably something we'll touch on in the next podcast or the podcast after that when it becomes clear how Liverpool's season is going to going to play out. But from a financial point of view, Dave, just how important is it to get this team into the Champions League next season, either by winning the competition, I wouldn't say it's a favourable draw against Real Madrid in the quarterfinals, but it's a winnable draw, uh, or by finishing in the top four and getting ahead of Chelsea? It's a massive financial headache and, and there's no, you know, kind of two ways about that. I mean, the fan, the, the rewards, financial rewards of the Champions League are, are so lucrative. There's a reason why teams clam before it um, every single season. There's a reason why the biggest clubs in Europe want some security over their future participation in through this Champions League reform. Um, the, I mean, even the prize money, I mean, so far, I mean, last when Liverpool won the, the, the Champions League, they pulled in over a hundred million. I mean, if, if they were to do it again this season, they would achieve more than that because of the raising prize money um, and, and the raising their coefficient as well through being champions um, in 2019 So and, and winning the Premier League last season. So to, to miss out on that money, um, I don't think it would, because of FSG's approach anyway, I don't think it would knock um, kind of the finances out, out of stride so much to the point where it's you see some kind of fire sale and they have to get rid of players or anything like that I, but I do think it might make them even more conservative in their own transfer business but when have they not been um, you know it's I don't think it, you're going to see anything other than the norm but that's that's on the assumption of this if it's one season say it's a one season hit but anything longer than that it becomes very difficult because um you effectively become Arsenal, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's um, that that's that Arsenal should be seen there as the warning sign of um, what uh, continued lack of kind of success means. And I know under Wenger they were always reticent to spend too much money, uh, and the money that they have spent, pre, you know, in, in seasons past since Wenger's left. You look at some of the deals they've done; they've been, you know, they've they've just been dreadful business. Um, so. I think that there's a very much a, a kind of example there of, of how not to do things. Um, United, I mean, they, they look like I mean, they missed out obviously the Champions League this current season, but they look like they'll be geared up to go back into it um, next season. That's vitally important for them because um, they were going to be hit with a 25% penalty on their 
75 million pound a year deal with Adidas if it was going to be Europa League football for a second season. Um, Liverpool won't have any penalties this season from, from sponsorships or, or anything like that. If it rolls onto another season, there's a, a small penalty to pay for Nike. But I think this doesn't feel like it's a, a not like a, a typical Liverpool season whereby they're going to struggle to qualify for the top four. This very much feels like a season that has been underpinned by so many difficult things happening. Um, not lose. I mean, you lose the player that, I mean, ultimately, Liverpool were so close to achieving things when they didn't have Van Dijk and um, Alisson, but when when they did, Adam, those were the missing pieces of the puzzle, weren't they? So, And, and you can't just say, oh, you know, it, it's a case of one player changes everything, but Van Dijk, having a world-class defender like that is to, to lose them for a season and try and replace them by losing your best players from central midfield and putting them at centre-half and and then not being able to sign the players that you want in, in, in January to, to kind of plug that gap. I mean, you wouldn't have been able to sign a replacement for Van Dijk. No. Like no, Malik. It's, no. it's, it's not achievable. Um, so you're, you're almost trying to just make the best. So it, it feels like it's not going to be a typical season. It could well be. A, I mean, if they do qualify for the Champions League, it'd be a, a phenomenal achievement given where they have been at this point in the season. But it looks like the most realistic avenue for that would would be winning it and which is crazy when you when you say that out loud but I mean who'd bet against some clock uh, in Europe I wouldn't um, but I don't think they'll be hedging their bets on that happening I think that behind the scenes they'll be thinking well this is next season's going to be a, a season without Champions League football and they'll already be thinking about how that looks financially um, if it doesn't then great but I think they'll already, but I don't think it's going to knock them out of stride in terms of approach um, because they've always been fairly cautious anyway. So I, I don't think you'll see enormous changes, but maybe a bit more conservatism in the transfer market than even more so than than, than has been the norm. It's just a final one, uh, because you've mentioned it a couple of times uh, about the club accounts. Obviously, we've, we've talked about the impact of, of losing Virgil van Dijk and then you've, you've thrown Joe Gomez, Thiago's been out, Jota, Henderson... Uh, one of the biggest impacts on, on, on Liverpool and, and on all football clubs, you know, is is the lack of fans. And, you know, it's, uh, we began to, and when the accounts come out, we'll begin to see that a little bit because the, the accounts for this year will be for the 2019-20 season when Liverpool won the Premier League and obviously for the the final section of that season there were no supporters inside Anfield. Uh, I, I know in recent years, the accounts have been absolutely fantastic. I think there was one year, a, a record-breaking pre-tax profit of 125 million. Then I think last year it was, uh, around £42 million pound of pre-tax profit. Uh, it, they're going to look different, aren't they, when they come out? It could be any time now, I imagine, Dave, you'll know better than that me, than me, mates. But uh, I imagine like all football clubs, it's going to be a bit of a different story for Liverpool this year. They will. And from what we can gather, it's going to be an operating revenue um, decrease of about 40 million, 42 million. Um, so that they're not going to suffer as much as other clubs have because of FSG's approach and that's just the, the way it is there's no um, there's going to be I don't think there's going to be any major skeletons in the in the cupboard there but um, they're also not yet going to see the benefit of um, the deal um, the AXA deal because they all fall into next year's financials so there'll be there'll be a significant hit um, because it's going to, it's been a covid affected season no fans in in stadiums um but it's going to be a strange one because it only it's only going to account for the first 3 months of that kind of covid affected period and i think for clubs 
we're not really going to see the true impact of COVID. Um, although we've seen some really kind of stark results from clubs, um, quite worrying results uh, following kind of the impact of the pandemic. I think we're not going to see the true picture until we see um, the financial results for the 2021, which is the month ending May mm-hmm. um, of this year, um, because that's going to be when you're going to see the full impact of a full year of no one in the stadium. Um, but for Liverpool, they'll probably be looking, while in Boston um, with the Red Sox, um, match day revenue or game day revenue equates for some 40% of, of revenue in, in the Premier League for most clubs averages um, around 13%. Um, so, you know, it's, that isn't going to be crushing to, to Liverpool. And they've got, you know, but I think they'll be looking at next year's accounts or, or May 2021's accounts for the for when we, it seems strange that we're talking about that given we've not had the 2020 financial accounts yeah. and the 2021 financial accounts, financial year ends um, in, in a couple of months' time. <laughs> um, but that will be when we see the what the first kind of knock-ins of what this Nike deal looks like. Um, the flat three is going to be less than what they have in New Balance, yes, but um, we'll be able to see how this kind of royalty um, incentivized contract works with Nike and, and whether it's bringing in um, the kind of revenues that they would have hoped for. Um, early signs up from what I can gather have been quite good, been quite positive. Um, and Nike are booming as a business at the moment. They're, they've changed their strategy to um, kind of cut out the middleman almost mm-hmm. and, and get more sell to consumers because that's where everyone's at home. Um, they can kind of contact, you know, they can, they can, speaking straight to consumers one-to-one um, through their digital platforms and, and that's their growth business now. That's where their focus is uh, and that's been working fantastically well for them and that in turn will work well for Liverpool because more people are buying Nike products uh, equals likelihood of more people buying Nike, Nike licensed products for Liverpool which means more money for Liverpool. So um, I think that like I said, we, we touched on before Paul, I, I think this steady approach of FSG while it's derided in, in, in some corners as being penny pinching and and, um, and lacking uh, ambition and investment in, in Liverpool and, and maybe a lack of interest, uh, some people have said. I mean, I'm not too sure whether I subscribe to that. Um, it will at least probably allow them to manage the impacts of probably the worst healthcare crisis in a century um, far better than, than some of their rivals. I mean, you have to look at the fires burning in Europe with the likes yeah. of Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, who they'll be sitting out transfer windows for some time yet um, to see how kind of frivolous spend can go. Um, but I think that it will just be a case of business as usual um, at, at Liverpool, which is more so than any other club, I think. I think they'll be able just to probably stay the course and um, make a few alterations here and there in terms of what they do in the transfer market, but ultimately largely the same. Good stuff, mate. Well, hopefully things get back to normal. We've been saying on these podcasts, and I think we've all been saying in our own uh, in our lives uh, sooner as, as soon as possible. Really, it does feel like uh, here in England we're making a bit more progress than maybe some countries from where our listeners are from. You know, and who knows? By May twenty third, there might actually be ten thousand Liverpool fans back at Anfield for that final home game against Crystal Palace. 
there's a lot to happen before then. Maybe even uh, the release of, of last year's financial uh, accounts, which Dave will will be all over on the Liverpool Echoes website and also on this podcast. Please do stick with us uh, and by all means come up with a better name for it than uh, the bottom line. If 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 you if you like or if you've got any suggestions, please do let us know uh, and do stick with us on the Blood Red channel. There'll be loads more this week and the, and the weeks to come uh, before the end of the season. Dave, I uh, hope you enjoyed that and thank you very much for joining us. Cheers, Paul. Thanks a lot, mate. Good stuff, mate. And if you'd like to follow Dave on Twitter, you can find him at underscore Dave Powell. That's underscore Dave Powell, capital D, capital P. Uh, And yeah, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.